Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Movie Madness with me, your host, Khalil Jamal. Now, I am joined by Maddie. Hi. And you can follow me on social media at Jamal 3 And if you like what you hear, then, and you want more of this or more of me, then you can check out the CB Media Network YouTube channel and podcast, where I, along with a bunch of other people, talk about movies. You can also follow this podcast, which releases every Wednesday, because I've got some pretty cool guests and other surprises planned for this, so you're not going to want to miss that. So, what's on the agenda first today? First, we have the Writers Guild of America, the... Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Uh, and there resume negotiations? Yeah. <laughs> About the strike, the writer's strike that started on May 2nd. So that's interesting that they're going to be resuming negotiations on Wednesday. Because this is, a, it's very interesting because this is a strike which has gone on longer than any, uh, than the last time that they, sh- they were on strike and it, it feels weird because the things they're asking for are very logical and very, you know, they make sense, right? Like they're asking for increased contributions to the pension plan and health fund. They're asking for more than like 10 cents for some of the popular streaming shows. Mm-hmm. And they don't want AI to replace their jobs at some point. Like, these feel like very logical demands, which makes it weird that this strike continues to go on. Very. And, you know, you, you see the studios having to kind of come back. Obviously, the studios seem to have the intent to crush the union, so to speak, because they refuse to negotiate with them and, and negotiate fairly. But it's interesting because Warner Bros. Discovery just announced last to its investors last week that there's going to be a 300 million to 500 million hit on earnings because of the ongoing strikes and because of the movie delays of which of course we'll talk about some of them later wait so you mean warner brothers is getting 3 million to 5 million due to the strikes no no they're going to lose that much they're, money oh, yeah good. they're going to take a hit yeah yeah as they should it, it's it's kind of ridiculous like, it's interesting because you'd think this would put even more pressure on them to kind of get a deal because obviously again you know, in the grand scheme of things, 300 million to 500 million is a lot of money, right? And if you're not able to release movies, and the longer this goes on, and again, this is something we'll talk about in a little bit, there's going to be more complications than just, oh, well, you can't promote your movie, which are going to cause movies to get delayed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a true for obviously the writer's strike and the actor strike. Uh, we also see this very weird desire for a lot of these late night shows, um, you know, Bill Ma- uh, a few of them, Drew Barrymore, I think, was trying to come back, made an apology video, and then because she realized, oh, this is insensitive to kind of bring my show back when I don't have any writers to write the show, and then she ended up deciding to delay it, right? And you see this with a bunch of other people, which makes this very interesting, I think, a very interesting kind of story. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else you think about this, the fact that they're going to be resuming negotiations? There isn't much there, but... Um, I hope that because the the complaints are so logical that they should win and 
writers and actors can continue um, pursuing their craft with equitable funding. Yeah, and I think it's interesting just to kind of wrap up that this kind of you know mini topic, I guess, because the the writers and actors both want to write and act like they do mm-hmm. legitimately enjoy what they do, mm-hmm. right? You, you ask, and I've talked to people who who write and who are you know on strike right now, and they've all they've said is, "Look, we love doing this. Obviously, we want to do this, but we can't do this." in good conscience knowing that you know we are getting paid what we deserve and i and we're not getting the compensation we deserve for our work and i think that's a very fair thing like it's not like these people don't want to do their job they do they're making a sacrifice on their part of saying look mm-hmm. we're willing to give this up because this is the right thing to do and i do hope that studios come to both like i hope this this negotiation kind of leads them to you know get the get a good fair deal done for the writers and hopefully the actors follow then they get a good fair deal done with the actors as well because at the end of the day right now ai can't write your scripts for you not good scripts anyway so you know you can as much as you want to leave that door open you know this is the right thing to do and hopefully the studios recognize that now i granted and once it starts hitting them with where it hurts with which is money that's when you're going to see things start to happen so let, let's see what happens here. Mm-hmm. Because in the grand scheme of things, AI is a lot probably cheaper than hiring actors and writers. And for those jobs to be replaced by AI in the future is really uncanny to me and a little scary as someone who wants to pursue both of those things. And also remember, AI at this point at least is not good enough to you know replace writers or actors like you you can't get AI to write a script. Trust me, ChatGPT is mm-hmm. not that good. So, you know, it's still going to take time, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that, and in, in in terms of, you know, the fact that it will take time. Yeah. So what's next? Next is the Barbie movie. Warner brother Warner Brothers cut out the brothers has officially submitted both Ryan Gosling. Barbie for Best Supporting Actor. And it's also been, I think, submitted for Best Original Screenplay instead of Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting because obviously the Barbie movie was the highest grossing movie of the year worldwide with $1.4 billion. And we knew it was going to be a favorite in the Best Picture conversation. But Warner Bros. has, or Warner Bros. Discovery, whatever you want to call them now, has submitted both Ryan Gosling as Barb from Barbie for best supporting actor and Barbie for best original screenplay. And what all this means really, just to be very simple here is all this means is they're just going to try to campaign to get them to, you know, nominate the movies. There's nothing more. And at, at this point, if we're being perfectly honest, who knows based on the actors and writer strikes, if the award show will even happen, Right. Mm-hmm. So right now we're even, we're not even sure about that. However, they're kind of pursuing it as if it is going to happen. So yeah. the interesting thing here is, I think the Ryan Gosling for Best Supporting Actor is something we'll come back to in a second. But I wanted to talk about Barbie for Best Original Screenplay mm-hmm. because so in the Oscars, the way the writing categories work is there's a Best Original Screenplay category, obviously, and then there's a Best Adapted Screenplay category, obviously. 
the way it's generally worked is movies like you look at the Marvel movies, right, which aren't directly adapted, like aren't written directly from comics, Mm -hmm. but they are, however, based on characters that already exist, right? Mm -hmm. And typically, they've always fallen under the adapted screenplay Mm -hmm. category, right? So you look at, you know, every time, every Marvel movie is always under the adapted screenplay, not under the original screenplay, because they're adapted from something that already exists. Now, Barbie is also adapted from something that already Mm -hmm. exists. Now, I'm aware it's not, obviously, you know, I've seen it. It's not like, you know, the animated Barbie movies or, you know, Mm -hmm. anything else. However, the characters in that movie, Mm -hmm. for the most part, already exist. Barbie, Ken, they both already exist. They existed before this movie. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that they're trying to campaign for it in original screenplay. So I went to go look at at the um, Gold Derby, which is a... You know, a site has odds and it lets you make predictions and stuff. So first, so for Barbie, Barbie's fifth, according to Gold Derby, in odds to be nominated for Best Original Screenplay with a 9.1% chance. And uh, at six is Saltburn with 7.7% chance. This, and the Best Original Screenplay only has five nominee spots. So right now, according to Gold Derby, is right on the edge of that. So it'll be interesting to see if... Maybe the calculation they made is this is a better category for us to have a chance to win it. I don't know if that's true or at least get nominated. And I don't know if that's true, but it feels like that's the only logical reason why they would leave the adapted category and go to the original category. Now, the other thing I should note is they don't actually get to decide this. The the people who decide this, the Oscars have a or the Academy has a has a bunch of subcommittees, essentially. Okay. In this case, it's the Writers writers Branch Executive Committee. And I did some nice deep dive into the Oscar eligibility requirements last night, so that was fun. Uh, And this Writers Branch Executive Committee is the committee that decides what is eligible in the original or adapted categories for the Oscars. So they don't make their decision until January when the Academy voters get the ballots. And because of that, we won't actually know what category they choose to put this in until that point. So that's a, I think that's a very interesting thing because we won't because they're going to campaign for this. And obviously, when the campaigning rules, there's a bunch of rules around what you can and can't do. Generally, a lot of it is heavy bribery or sorry, heavy um I think it, I don't know what the actual term is, but they just give free stuff to these mm. people. I mean, I guess it is bribery. And, you know, they do other things like they obviously see all the four year consideration ads and all this other stuff throughout the year. They basically just try to get in the heads of the people voting and saying, look, this movie is worthy of this award. Right. They obviously do free screenings for people who haven't seen the movie, although based on its box office numbers, Mm -hmm. I don't know who hasn't seen it. The so they're going to do all that stuff with original mind. Granted, if it is on the adapted side. It may, it may not actually be that much work for them to get it go from adapted to a from adapt like you know it's it's still gonna be in the same voters' minds the same voters who vote on it mm-hmm. so it's not like they're losing anything it's just interesting because at least from my experience I've never seen a movie that seems so blatantly obviously an original an original screenplay or an adapted screenplay sorry to be focused on in the original category. Now, 
let's talk a little bit about Ryan Gosling being nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and this may involve some hot takes, so mm-hmm. I apologize in advance for all the people who are going to angrily turn off this podcast after I, I say some of the things I'm about to say. So according to Gold Derby, again, you know, to look at the odds, Gosling has the third highest odds to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and he's behind Robert Downey Jr. at 20%, Robert De Niro uh, so Robert Downey Jr. obviously for Oppenheimer, Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon at 20%, and then Ryan Gosling is at 18.2%. So he's right there in the in that kind of top three category. Okay. I don't think there's much of a, at this point, much of a debate on if he's going to get nominated for that. I think it's likely he will. Yeah. However, and this may be beyond the nomination, this may be more about the winning, I don't think he deserves to win for that movie. I saw Barbie... And I don't think that he was that good. I think he was very overhyped in that movie. He was good. He was fine. I don't think he did anything special. And if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I think the fact that Robert Downey Jr. is in first makes sense because I think this might be his best role, especially considering the fact that typically when a character or an actor does a character role like he did as Iron Man for so many years over a decade then it's when you can see him in another role and you could say i don't see iron man i just see this character he's supposed to be playing i think that does speak to something and i think that is something which has to be you know looked at and and taken into account also let's be honest robert downey jr very much has deserved some credit at, at the oscars for his entire career so I think this would be a good time to even just give him that as well. But I don't know. I just I didn't find Ryan Gosling that, you know, transformative as an actor in that movie. I was like, OK, cool. He's fine. I thought Margot Robbie was just fine. Like, I didn't think either of them were transformative in their roles. But I and I, you know, I disagree with the, you know, some of the song, the certain Barbie song, which they are talking about potentially being the favorite to win best original song which song the i am ken or whatever it's called i'm just ken well he is just ken i don't know i think that song is also extremely overrated especially when the spider-verse soundtrack had come out at that point and Mm. i think that soundtrack anything in that is better than that song i also thought the bowser song beat or whatever it's called from super mario um or the mario movie or whatever it's called was also kind of overrated and I think those songs, although they're going to be nominated, I don't think they should win personally. But at the end of the day, I don't have a vote for a reason, probably. So that is my hot take that Ryan Gosling does, probably doesn't deserve to win Best Supporting Actor. I think it'll be between him and Robert Downey. I think it will be those three who will kind of stay at the top. And obviously there's a lot to happen still. But it is going to be interesting to see what happens with that and obviously see what happens with Barbie either going to Best Original or Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Ryan Gosling's performance in Barbie? I think he did his job. I think he delivered his lines. I think he really delivered the dances. And the song is good to me. So would you would you want... like If you could pick who won that category based on those three, would you pick Ryan Gosling? Mm, well, I don't have... Um, the only one of these three movies that I've seen is Barbie, so I can't really 
say because I haven't seen the other two. So do you think he deserves to win an Oscar for his role for his performance in Barbie? Sure, why not? Okay, well then on that in that, I think we gotta talk some Taylor Swift for some reason yeah, now. Yeah, Eras Tour. Um, the movie pre-sales are now at sixty-five plus million dollars, which would make it one of the biggest pre-sale numbers in history. So this is interesting because I never thought there'd be a day where I'd be sitting here in front of a microphone talking about Taylor Swift, but here we are. So this Taylor Swift Eras Tour movie, which is the most mind-boggling thing to ever come out of Hollywood, probably, is apparently doing really, really well for a concert movie. Mm. Uh, once again, completely flabbergasted as to how the how this movie is actually, you know, why people want are desperate to watch this movie. No idea. Uh, but I'll let people do what they want to do. This movie was actually dealt with in a very interesting way, a very unique way, actually. So I guess shout out to Taylor Swift on that one. But the it was distri- it's distributed without a studio, right? So there's no studio okay. distributing it, which allows it to be released yes. without breaking the strike rules. Taylor's version. Right. So, oh, but she's um, yeah. During the strike, Taylor, that's not very considerate. No, no, she's di- she actually did it very in a very um, proper way because okay. she said because so the strike is with the is with the producers or is with the like the studios, right? Mm-hmm. So what she said was, okay, I'm not going to sell this to because normally what you do is you have a movie, right? All right. And you sell it to a studio and then yeah. they distribute it to the theaters and they market it and they do all that stuff. Gotcha. What she said was, no, 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 that would be violating strike rules. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go directly to the theaters and say, look, I have this movie here. Let's just, you know, work on a deal or like between me and, and, and theaters. So it's literally coming out without a studio attached to it. Mm, yes, she ate that. So she actually met and she said she was talking. She talked to the people, you know, the union leaders, and she made sure it didn't violate strike rules in any way when she was working on the distribution because obviously she's not a studio so she's not in a dispute with the actors or the writers mm-hmm. and i think this is a very clever way for her to do it and it's also the first one of the first of its kind obviously the first mm. probably big movie that's done like this and if this is a success now obviously she's probably mm. invested a lot of money into this movie as well from her own you know from her own pockets because this is not a cheap thing to do without a studio backing you yeah but if this works, this could be a sign that there could be other people who have movies and who want to do things. And that could be the, this could be the route, right? It's just to go straight to the theaters and say, look, yeah. this is my movie. Mm-hmm. But that's just not possible if you're not a millionaire. Well, if that's, and if you don't have something that's as popular as apparently this era's tour is yes. and to the point where the movie's also making a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. But the other, so let's talk a little bit more about what this movie's doing because I don't think people understand how much money this movie's making in pre sales. So yeah. I'm just going to give you some notable uh, pre sale numbers for movies. So Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, then this is a Marvel movie, right? It made a ton of, it made a good amount of money. It made $60 million in pre sales. Mm-hmm. The Batman. Which was a highly successful movie. $700 million plus movie. $42 million in pre-sales. This, this era's tour movie has made over $65 million. Yeah. It is 
only I think right now, and again, we don't actually get exact estimates, especially because we're still a few weeks out from this. It doesn't come out till I think the second week of October. So the numbers aren't even final yet. Mm-hmm. And all these numbers that I, or the two numbers I read to you are final because obviously they were yeah. calculated from the day basically before the movie came out. This would put it basically behind Spider-Man um, No Way Home for the biggest presale ever for a movie. Hmm. It's a little bit, it's still pretty significantly far, far away from it. So I don't think it's going to make a billion dollars. However, if you want to look at the concert the contemporary musical concert movies mm-hmm. the most the highest grossing one at as of this moment for lifetime is justin bieber never say never which made 75 million dollars mm-hmm. then you've got this is it which made 72 million dollars you got hannah montana uh and miley cyrus the the concert movie 65 million dollars a really good one one direction this is us 28 million dollars and you've got a whole bunch of other ones. Madonna is there, Glee, U2, Jonas Brothers, all this other, who all made a bunch of money. This movie, in its opening weekend, is right now projecting for a $100 million opening weekend. Yeah. This would bury, in its opening weekend, every other concert movie ever. And there's no studio backing behind this, right? Because obviously Justin Bieber was backed by Paramount. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, this is it was backed by Sony. Uh, Hannah Montana obviously was backed by Disney. This is the first like this movie's backed by nobody. Mm-hmm. It's going to potentially, based on the pre its pre-sale numbers have already almost surpassed Justin Bieber's Never Say Never. Like the highest grossing concert movie ever. Yeah. This this like I like that's nuts to me that this you look at what this tour is doing and and now what this tour movie is doing and this movie again could make a hundred million dollars as a concert movie Mm -hmm. think about how crazy that is like that is that's unbelievable honestly like this could legitimately be like a 500 million plus dollar movie yep that's what taylor swift does to the world i mean clearly i mean i'm not a huge you know i'm not like a huge music person or a Taylor Swift person. That's okay. I feel like I made people angry for that as well. But this is just nuts to me. The fact that there is this much excitement for this movie. Mm, Well, do you know what? From a perspective of someone who's listened to her music ever since I had the Fearless and the Speak Now CDs in my bedroom as a little kid, I feel like a lot of girls have grown up with Taylor... And through her eras, like, there's a reason it's called the Eras Tour. She went from country artist to pop artist to... She kind of had a little spicy, like, badass era for reputation. And then she released Folklore and Evermore. And it was giving much more... Like, she's dipped her toes in every genre. And... This whole generation of girls loves every single bit of it. And then she did a whole concert tour and she has a different like aesthetic for each of her eras. And we like grew up with her in that way. And so I think that's why she's so near and dear to so many people's hearts. So will you be watching this movie when it comes out? Probs. Well, there you go. I'm probably. Okay, you know what? I'll make everyone listening a deal. If it hits one hundred million dollars opening weekend. 
I will go watch the movie. And if it doesn't, well, I won't watch it. That 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 is the deal I will make with everyone listening right now. Mm-hmm. So go watch it. So if I mean, if you want me to, if you want everyone, if everyone wants to see me watch it, then go. Then everyone has to go watch it because it has to make a hundred million dollars opening weekend. So yeah, let's collectively go watch it as a world. Yes. Yeah, so now we've got a interesting. Unless you have anything else to say about Taylor Swift's era movie thing. Mm-mm. You, I'm I'm good. So what's up next? Next is. According to Vanity Fair, Bad Bunny has confirmed he is no longer set to play El Muerto. Should they try to get this movie back on track or just let it die? Now, what I will say is the same thing that I've been saying so long as this, since this movie was announced and so long as I have a microphone in front of my face, I will continue to say this. This movie needs to die and now. Okay. So El Muerto. Yeah. Uh. Who is El Morto? Do you want to tell the audience? Um, it translates to the dead, the dead guy. Um, I've never heard of the movie, though. So El Morto is a Juan Carlos Estrada Sanchez, and he's an antihero and okay. wrestler who gains superpowers after he inherits a mysterious luchador mask. Mm-hmm. He only appeared in two Marvel comics ever. Oh, and Sony announced this movie along with the whole bunch of their other ridiculous ideas for movies, including Craven the Hunter and a few other crazy movies. Uh, Madam Web, that was the other one they announced. Cool. And they announced this in April of 2022, and they're aiming for a January 2024 release date. Now, at the time, they announced Jonas Coron will direct, while Gareth Dunette Alacor was hired to write this, the screenplay. Now, I know I completely butchered both those names, and I apologize. Yes, you did. It's okay. But um, Jonas Caron is the Oscar is the son of the Oscar-winning Gravity director, Alfonso Caron. And uh, again, I apologize for butchering all of these names. I cannot speak... I can barely speak English, so like, let's just, you know... Period. But the, no sweat. the writer also wrote the script for Blue Beetle, Another Latino superhero movie. So that's an interesting thing. Now, Jan- June 21st, Sony announced that it was off the release calendar entirely. Now, that doesn't mean that they were canceling it. That just meant that they were pushing it back. Mm. Or pushing it back indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't know where it was going to go. Mainly just because the writer strike was going on and they couldn't actually write the movie. So they couldn't actually figure out what... They, they, they couldn't move forward with it at all because they couldn't even write it. Now, there was a rumor, uh, I think a few months ago at this point, yeah. that Bad Bunny wasn't going to be a part of this movie and that they were going to look to recast him. Uh, well, why'd they cast him in the first place? He's a music artist. Yeah, but that's never stopped him before. Look, Lady Gaga oh, keeps getting movie oh, roles. Oh, no, yeah, you can always do both. Go, Bad Bunny. Even though, you know, one could argue maybe he would suck in this role. And, maybe. But then again, he's also playing a, a character who, for a movie which should never even have existed to begin with. Yeah. So, and it probably won't ever exist. I think it should die mm. to answer that question. But why? Because um, El Morto was such a minor role in the actual comics? Well, that to some extent, but also because it's Sony and it like, uh, look, I'll be honest with you. Sony. Because so what are the other superhero movies there? Not Sony? So, well, no, they're Disney. So uh, that, but that's okay. the difference, so right? So you want it to be Disney El Morto? No, I don't want El Morto to exist at all. Okay. However... 
if it's going to exist, I'd rather be done by Disney than uh-huh. it being done by Sony. And yes. I think the interesting thing here is this. What's the tea about Sony? Sony is dysfunctional, and they're a mess, they're especially their movie studio side. Now, again, apart from Across the Spider-Verse and Into the Spider-Verse, which were both fantastic examples of cinema, Sony is not very doesn't have a good track record with Spider-Man and Spider-Man mm-hmm. characters. Okay. So they released, obviously, out bef- since the movies, the spy- original Spider-Man movies, which everyone thinks are really, really good, which I'll let them think, the, they released the two amazing Spider-Man movies, both of which sucked. Then they released Venom, Venom 2. They released Morbius with Jared Leto, which even I haven't watched yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they released, they want to release Craven the Hunter. They want to release, uh, they announced a Silver, uh, Silver Sable and Black Cat movie, which never went anywhere because, you know, it was a stupid idea to begin with. The Black Cat? Uh, yeah, doing a silver and black movie on their own. Yeah, okay. by Sony, that that's, that was a dumb idea. All right. They also announced a whole bunch of other... Like, they announced, like, a Sinister Six project, which died. They announced... Um, they've announced every character. They're, they're doing a mm. Madam Web movie, which is some weird, like, Terminator time travel thing. That okay. So Sony is just doing any cash grab they can. Exactly, because they saw that, obviously, when they made the deal with, the, the, the deal with Marvel Studios, where they gave them the ability to make the spider movies if they got to take all the profits from that mo- those movies yeah. which is you know which was marvel's way of saying look we, we don't care about the money we just want the character and so when they're able to do that they saw spider-man obviously the tom holland spider-man trilogy do super well and they're like let's do more of that and then venom obviously made a ton of money because you know it mm-hmm. was a dumb fun movie and people like that but then they obviously had venom 2 which didn't do it nearly as well and then they had morbius which flopped yeah it's giving a Quantity over quality. Or just desperate for money. And I yeah. think this is just another thing in that in that streak of like, I'm desperate for money and I really want to be given some, like I want to just do something that people might like, right? Which obviously no one will. I do think it's interesting though, because they did announce that it was going to be off the release calendar. Then the rumors about Bad Bunny, and now Bad Bunny confirmed to Variety Fair mm-hmm. that he's not doing it anymore. Yeah, he's out. And he was kind of cryptic about it. He's like, you know, I'm... I'm not going to talk. It was very sensitive subject. Next question or something. But oh, okay. he pretty much confirmed the rumor because the rumor was, you know, is very was very credible to begin with. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, what Sony really should do is just give Spider-Man all the way back to Marvel because they haven't mm-hmm. done anything good with it anyway since the original Spider-Man movies. And they might as well just, you know, let the people who know what they're doing do it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but unfortunately... Uh, knowing Sony enough that it, there's like a 50% chance they recast and they still try to make this movie come out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the only thing that could have saved this was because Bad Bunny yeah, would be the star. He would attract all the attention. Well, it, it attracted at least enough for it to be a decent movie. I don't know if that's... Again, I don't know who they would get to recast him. I'm not going to think that far into this movie just because every time I do... My, my, my general philosophy with Sony and Warner Brothers is the same. Mm-hmm. And the philosophy is this. Yeah. If the movie, if I'm not sitting in the theater watching the movie, it hasn't happened. So, because they both are notorious for announcing things which just never, ever come out. Mm. So I think for this one, I'm going to just go with the fact that they should let it die. They're not going to make any money off of it. I guarantee you that much. I mean, look, as much as you know, obviously the representation, all that matter. Mm-hmm. Blue Beetle was not a successful movie. Now, mm-hmm. granted, there were 
external factors like Warner Bros. is an incompetent studio. Okay. For, which, you know, definitely affected that. Obviously, they somehow managed to, according to reports, they literally lost the entire movie of Aquaman 2. Really? Yeah, they, like, apparently, the reports say that they lost the movie, which is why it took them so long to get a trailer out, in their servers. So they had to hunt through their servers to try to find this movie. This is one of their biggest budget movies of the year. One of their big tentpole DC movies. They just lost in their servers somewhere. Hmm. And they spent like months trying to find it. Like think about the level of incompetence that shows. Yeah, disorganized for sure. So again, you know, Sony being very much in the same category. Mm -hmm. I am going to say that I I'm refuse to believe this movie is going to happen uh, until the until we see something happen and again i don't know if you should take the son of an oscar-winning director mm. to direct your movie i mean he's directed a few things nepotism nothing... babies well are he running had... hollywood well he has technically directed a few things nothing super notable hence why the only notable thing on the layout is is the fact that he's the son of an oscar-winning director mm. for an amazing movie mm -hmm. but it is interesting that he you know, obviously, I think that feels like a very Sony thing to do. Hey, there's an Oscar-winning director. Do you have any children we can use? Mm, mm -hmm. I feel like if that was clipped, that could be very, very that bad. Very, very bad. Nope, we need to keep this in context. Uh, but anyways, I it was pushed off the release calendar. Now it's confirmed that he's not in the movie anymore. Uh, the director is still attached. The act or the writer's still technically attached. Although, at this point, I don't, you know... They're on strike, so it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But it will be interesting to see what happens with this, and if this movie survives, I I hope for the sake of cinema it doesn't survive because this mm -hmm. shouldn't be a thing that happens. But yeah, and we'll find out. Yeah, I don't have high hopes for the El Muerto ever coming out either, based on what you've said about Sony incompetence at its best. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next? Next, well, this is a big one. If the AMPTP, which stands for? The American Movie Motion Picture Television... Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. All right. If that does not come to deal with the SAG-AFTRA, which is the writer's strike, right? No, actor strike. Actor, actor strike. strike actor. Two strikes going on at the same time. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Um, before the end of September, movies that have already wrapped filming will have to be delayed. Not for marketing, but because actors are needed to do ADR, automatic, uh, automated dialogue replacement, to complete sound mixes. What does that mean? So, first of all, everyone, everyone probably heard ADR, automated dialogue replacement, said, what the hell is that? Yeah. So, automated dialogue replacement is the process, basically, of replacing the bad quality on-set audio with good quality in-studio audio to complete a sound mix, right? So... I'll give you some examples here. If you're filming and there's a and you you have a fog machine going, right? Just so you can, you know, for mm -hmm. the visual part of the movie. Now, if the fog machine's too loud, then you may obviously you're going to hear that in the background, yes. right? Which can distort the audio. Yeah. So sometimes what happens is they will just take they'll go back to the studio like after filming is done and they'll when they're doing post production, they'll bring the actors back in. They'll have they'll play pretty much play it on a loop and have them kind of record it a mm -hmm. bunch of times to the uh, like on top of the other audio on a loop okay. and then basically just plug in the, the new clean audio and take out the bad audio, 
which allows them allows dialogue to be better. Yep. Now, an interesting thing is Christopher Nolan came out recently and said, and I didn't do that for Oppenheimer, which is why the audio sucks. Okay. Like some of the why some of the conversations are too quiet hmm. or how some of the background noise is too loud, because obviously he did a lot of on set. Almost all of it was on mm-hmm. set shooting. And he said, no, basically, I just decided I didn't want to do that. So huh. people were getting mad at him for that. For sure. Which is when ADR really became something that, you know, the average person, I guess, maybe the average person started talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we're hearing it more because people are saying, hey, this is not something which is, you know, this is something which matters, right? And it's even more important for musicals. You look at Barbie or yeah. you look at other things because typically either you have to redub it because of the, you know, because the audio is not clear. And for when you're singing something, you have to make sure you can hear the words of the song. Yeah. Or it's because sometimes you have other people sing, right? And you have actors act, especially if they yeah. can't sing. Yeah. So these are points where this really matters. Now, the the interesting thing is, so from the rap, there there's an interesting quote. I don't know if you want to read it, but about how about how ADR matters or why ADR matters and why this could kind of hurt the the release of movies. Mm-hmm. Is it the process of replacing bad quality on... S- no, next page. Okay. Yeah. Oh, here it is. ADR is a part of every film. You can't get around it. Every film was at a different stage of production when the strike began, but I think it's safe to assume that a great deal of film set, films set to come out during the winter that are in post right now need actors working again to finish the job. So um, this is from an insider at The Wrap. Yep. Or uh, an insider who spoke to someone at the rap. So this is interesting because you don't. He- this isn't because obviously we saw a lot of movies being delayed because they're like, okay, well we need our actors to promote this movie. Obviously, studios like Marvel were able, or or Disney, I guess in this case, were able to say, no, we're good because mm-hmm. we know our movie is so popular at this point. Like you know, a Marvel movie so popular at this point, you don't really need to do that much actor pr- press. To have the movie be successful, you show a few yeah. commer- a few ads, and people are going to be there, right? It's a it's a cult favorite. Well, yeah, and that's it's got many. such a huge audience, right? Like also also the Hunger Games, the yeah. new Hunger Games movie, like that's another one where you, it, the brand itself is so massive mm-hmm. that you don't even need an actor. You for the studio in the studio's minds again, you know, you don't need an actor. Yeah, but. I don't know if you want to read the second quote here, but... Mm -hmm. I have a question. Is Marvel to you what Taylor Swift is to me? Something Um, that you grew up with, that you've watched and evolved with alongside? Sure, we could say that. I I will be willing to to say that, yeah. That's awesome. I will read the next quote. Studio Insider said that ADR-related decisions for release dates don't have to be made now, but the likelihood of it becoming a bigger problem rises if the sag after trust strike lasts into october from the rap so yeah the rap so this is very again this is another interesting kind of tidbit because they what they're saying is look this stuff can happen and and the way this works is it can be done so quickly like over the course of a few weeks that you don't even need the final version of some of these movies especially if there's very like even especially if it's very spot fixes kind of thing Mm -hmm. right it's obviously not significant so you don't have to worry about that until o- the beginning of October mm. because that's when you're kind of in the month before the, a lot of the movies, which could potentially be delayed. Obviously, you've got the Marvels coming out on November 10th. You've got the Hunger Games uh, movie, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, coming out on November 17th. 
You have Wonka on December 15th, and you have Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom on December 20th. So those movies obviously coming out starting in November on November 10th, all are going to be important, like are going to have to be made decisions on whether or not they, they're going to actually be fully done and ready to go for that release date. Because obviously, again, you need the actors for the to do the ADR. And the only way that you can get the actors to do the ADR is if they are off and they're not striking anymore. So it is interesting because this will be something which studios will look at, right? Because remember, the way the studios work is if the money stops coming in or if there's a potential risk to the money flow, then there's an issue, right? In their minds, that potential risk was the actors and writers asking for more money. Mm. But if they have to, if Marvel has to delay their big, ten, if Disney has to delay their big tentpole Marvel release mm-hmm. into the into 2024, if the if they have to delay, if you know, if, if I think it's Warner Bros has to delay Hunger Games into you know 2024, if Warner Bros has to delay Wonka into 2024, yeah. is that the Wonka with Timothy Chalamet? Yes, that's correct. I see. I see. And if they have to, you know, obviously if Warner Bros. has to delay Aquaman into 2024, mm. then they may have an issue with that, right? Like, you're already looking, we talked already about how Warner Bros. is looking at losing, you know, 300 to $500 yeah. million dollars because of the writer strike. Well, as they should. Well, yeah, obviously, because they're <laughs> wrong. However, they also should be, like, they're also looking at the upcoming schedule and saying, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. we don't know what that number encompasses, but I'm going to assume based on the context of that number that they when they when they gave it. That that doesn't include the potential delays of of Wonka or Aquaman. I'm pretty sure Wonka is Warner Bros. It might be Sony. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but Aquaman for sure is Warner Bros. So and movies like that where you're hoping they're gonna make close to a billion dollars, over five hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. that can hurt you, right? Obviously, you know if you make five hundred million dollars in the theater, you don't actually get five hundred million dollars. You get yeah. half of that, and then you have to, and then whatever the difference between that and the budget of the movie yeah, yeah, is yeah. is the is the profit. But the it is interesting because you do have the you have all these movies which do, and there's more, right? You've got other movies as well, but I just named some of the more notable ones because these are the movies that you're gonna look at and say, look, Dune already Dune two already had to move for publicity reasons. Mm. Uh, the Hunger Games, Wonka, Aquaman are not safe. The Marvels is not safe. None of these movies are finished, finished yet. They are close to being yeah. finished, but until they are actually finished, we're going to have to see what happens. Yeah, and like we touched on earlier, it's not that they don't want to act. It's not that they don't want to make these movies and write them. It's that they they're want, not getting paid for Yeah, they want their compensation first, and that is one hundred percent fair. And so the delays don't bother me. So. Now we've got a very something we didn't do in episode one, which we're doing today. Hmm. We're doing a little bit of a discussion topic thing, and this is basically just a bit more of a vague thing. But do you want to read what we're talking about? Yes. Um, the topic is a question: Is Martin Scorsese 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 right about favorite movie lists? So do you want to read what he said about yeah. favorite movie lists? He said. The world, the word favorite has different levels. Films that have impressed you the most, as opposed to films you just like to keep watching, as opposed to those you keep watching and learning from. So this is what he said about favorite movies, and I think he is kind of saying in this that he disagrees with the concept of favorite movie mm-hmm. list, right? Because he's like, well, there's films that have impressed you the most. Uh, there's films you just keep watching. Yeah. 
uh, that you just that you love to watch, right? And then there's movies that you keep watching and you keep learning from them, right? And he's like, those are three different categories, and yet somehow people come up with their top ten favorite movies of all time, right? Yeah. Now, I think, and I'll let you kind of jump in on this in a minute, but I do think this is an interesting thing to talk about because obviously we love making lists about everything nowadays, right? Yeah. And it is interesting because... This it, because if this were like if he if he's saying like okay well why are you talking about your favorite movies I think I think he's kind of wrong and what I mean by that is this I think favorite because favorite is so subjective like he's saying mm-hmm. that actually makes it a more interesting conversation because that isn't an objective like you aren't trying to make an objective statement by, by saying your favorite movies mm-hmm. right you are legitimately making a subjective statement mm-hmm. the w- interesting thing here is or the interesting thing I think he could have spoken about instead was about best when people say i'm making movie that these are the best movies ever mm-hmm. right because i think that when you're trying to make a more yeah. objective statement about uh something like a movie right i think it is a little bit weirder right like obviously i made top 10 favorite movies of all time lists before and i think that those lists i always say the biggest factor on my in my when i'm making my favorite movies list right they're always the the factor is always what is you know what why what do I love to like what can I go and sit back and say I'm gonna watch this again and again and again right like movies that are slow even if they're really well done and I appreciate them my the biggest thing in my kind of analysis of movies is you know is, is this something which I'm going to be able to you know, can I go back and can I watch this again and again and again, mm-hmm. right? So typically there are movies like Marvel movies which do end up higher on those lists than maybe some people, you know, would personally think because, like, in terms of, like, quality because I find those movies enjoyable to go back and watch. Obviously, you know, you see a lot of animated movies as well, very high up on my list, even some, you know, not-so-great animated movies. Oh, yeah, some movies can be so bad that they're good. Well, I, I would put the Suicide Squad, the first one in uh-huh. Suicide Squad, the first one, not the second one, which was the Suicide Squad. Uh, gotta love people naming movies, right? Uh-huh. But I that one is one of those movies which I love to rewatch until the third act, and it's a movie which I do find as you know kind of a favorite movie of mine. Maybe not a top ten favorite movie of mine, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a movie I like to watch. And I think you know that's something that matters in your favorite movie. And I think if you're clear about what, when you're talking about your favorite movies, if you're clear on what you're defining as favorite, Mm -hmm. like, look, I'm sure there are people I've yet to find someone who makes their favorite movie list purely based on what they learned from watching the movie. Right. Yeah. I'm sure that's something people do. I'm not, you know, I'm sure that's something to some extent that I factored into my lists, you know, without obviously not being a significant part of it, but being some part of it. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's interesting that, he has an issue with this. Obviously, he's had issues with Marvel and he's had issues with, you know, the roller coaster movies, you know, in the past. And it's interesting that he seemed, it, again, it feels very much like this is a little bit of salt, him being salty, because mm-hmm. he's like, well, my movies are good. Why are they not on everyone's favorite list? Like, I don't think I have a Scorsese movie in my top five favorite movies ever. Right? I don't even know who he is until this podcast. He's the director of like a bunch of movies like um, Taxi Driver. <laughs> All right. And other stuff. Um, but he, you know, I think he's a little bit salty because he probably wants to be in those conversations more. Mm-hmm. And I think he is kind of like, well, you know, kind of much like when, when he, you know, kind of attacked Marvel movies, was interested in saying, look, 
why aren't people like why aren't my movies in the same kind of tier as some of the other all-time great directors because obviously he is an all-time great director however i think he kind of gets salty that people talk about these movies like these marvel movies and then they don't mention him and i think he gets annoyed with that i think you know you have a lot of times where his movies aren't mentioned that in that and i think people kind of get mad about that and i think people kind of get frustrated it frustrates him that people don't mention him. And I think he obviously he's an ego. He wants to be mentioned. Yeah. At the end of the day, watching movies is about feeling more than learning. Obviously you can learn from movies and it's a thing, but the main part of movies is the feelings it makes you feel. And Marvel has a lot of good emotions for the people who love those movies. And I think what I've said always about Marvel, and this was confirmed to me actually when I, interviewed someone who is behind like one of the brains behind the MCU which you can find on the YouTube channel but the what he said and he confirmed this theory my theory of Marvel which has been my theory forever which is the Marvel formula is very simple you go you basically just make two hour long sitcoms right Mm -hmm. and the biggest flaw with Marvel movies and I'm not going to get a whole Marvel tangent here but the biggest flaw with Marvel movies especially more recently has been they try to do too much, right? They try to go away from the stuff that people like. People like going into a theater and pretty much being able to turn their brain off and just watch a bunch of fun stuff happen, some emotional stuff, right? And you get all those feelings and all this other stuff, and then you leave the theater, right? Mm-hmm. And you go back and you watch. Like, you look at the, the first Avengers movie, right? That's something which 90% of people can just go back and watch because it's such a good movie. Yeah. It's, such, it's also not a long movie, right? Like, they don't, you know, for the most part early on, they were not very long, they were in two hours max, which for a movie, especially mm-hmm. now when you're looking at like movies that go up to two hours, 45 minutes to three, you know, especially mm-hmm. to three hours, you do see movies where, you know, you like those two hours, simple movies, right? Yeah. And Marvel's always been the sitcom of the movie world, right? It's very, you know, loosely connected or, you know, it's connected, but it's also, you know, still got its own continuity within each movie, Again, much like sitcom episodes where they're connected, but at the same time, you can watch a random episode and laugh, right? And I think Marvel took that formula and basically perfected it on the movie scale, which is why they were able to be so successful. So I think, and obviously Martin Scorsese has never done that before because obviously his his movies are a lot more serious in tone. So you can't make the jokes that, for example, mm-hmm. Marvel can and so I think that's kind of where this frustration for him comes from. I think favorite movie lists are great. I think my problem is when people say these are the best movies because yeah. that is a very hard thing to say. Yeah, there is a difference between favorite and best because favorite is like a matter of opinion and best is giving like there is no other answer. Exactly. And so I think I do think that the biggest thing here is the fact that he again, you know, I'd be interested in what other people think of this, but I do think that there's nothing wrong with favorite movies. And I think as long as you're clear about how what you're deciding is your favorite, and obviously favorite is very subjective, so you don't there's not even that much methodology to it, right? But at the end of the day, that's the most the most important thing is obviously making sure that people like you know it's it's discourse, it's fun, it's good for movies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know I don't know what I'd be doing if I couldn't make favorite movie lists, right? Mm-hmm. Now I do want to toss in something else here, which isn't on the layout, but got a little bit of time anyways. Okay. So I want to talk about something that I watched last night. All right. So last night, I was catching up on some TV, actually. Not movies. Awesome. And 
I watched the Harley Quinn show, the anime show. I watched the last two episodes of the fourth season. Okay, never heard of it. So, in a while ago, actually, early on in the in the season, I did, on my on the YouTube channel and podcast, whatever, I did a list of my favorite DC shows of all time, right? And this this show pretty much vaulted to like top three, and it's interesting because I think watching those last two episodes it kind of further proved what i'd been saying from before right this show is is really good right Mm -hmm. this show is something which is able to combine this you know kind of ridiculous humor with this level of almost emotion right like we talk about the marvel formula i think this show does the same kind of thing obviously in a 30-minute animated show setting, but it does the same kind of thing where it's able to have those really huge, especially kind of toward the, you know, as like the for the season finale, where you have these huge moments, mm-hmm. right? And you have these moments which are very much like, oh my God, this there's so much emotion in this moment. Yeah. And then you have someone, you know, you have Harley Quinn swearing and, you know, blood spat, splattering everywhere she smashes someone's head in, right? Uh-huh. Like, like you have that like complete contrast, to each other in within like five minutes of a show. And I think that's something which is really hard to do and really hard to do effectively because typically it just looks cheesy if you try to make it all heartfelt mm. and emotional. Yeah. And I and I do think this movie just or the show, sorry, does a really good job, probably the best job I've ever seen, of kind of balancing those two things and those two extremes so perfectly. And again, this show, the character development in a show like this, which you don't expect there to be any character development, mm-hmm. is actually nuts. And it's actually something which, again, DC's strength has always been their animated stuff, right? You look at Young Justice, you get Justice League Unlimited, right? Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, because technically that was the second part of the show. But you look at those animated things, they are amazing. DC does animated so well. The animated movies for DC are still top tier. And this show just ends up in that top tier category because of how amazing it is and how good it is at balancing all of those different elements. Yeah, all great films usually have a range of emotions throughout and the contrast that you're talking about is what makes films impactful and one tone throughout a whole episode or a whole movie is a little less interesting and the stakes aren't as high. Well, that's the other thing, right? It's like when you're doing an animated show for there to be real stakes for the characters yeah. is, is, is something which is, it, again, it's very unique. And I think it, it, this show deserves a lot more pre- credit than I think it does get. And I think if you're someone who obviously, if, obviously if you're a DC fan, you should watch it. But even if you're just someone who likes those kind of, you know, kind of ridiculous comedies, family guy, etc., mm-hmm. then you should go, you should watch this show because this show is like, it, it. I know it's a Harley Quinn show, but it is also more than that, right? Like it does truly end up in this diff, like a Rick and Morty kind of area of things, right? Okay. And I think it is something which is, honestly, I think very slept on by a lot of people and I don't think it should be. So I wanted to kind of talk about that. With that being said, we're at the end of this episode. Yes, we are. Thank, thank you for having me, my friend. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And hopefully you'll be back. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to follow this podcast. we got some amazing stuff coming up. And 
I think next week's episode from when you're hearing this is probably going to be a, I think we're going to have a guest on that episode. So stay tuned for that one, but thank you again. And thank you all for listening and I'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.